Blog Talk Radio. Oh, the top of the morning to everyone who's listening today. I tell you what, we are having a great time. Troy Dooley here with Real Mentors Radio. And uh, man, last night I got the most great surprise. My family headed back into Destin. My baby girls couldn't keep a secret very long, but they had started posting on Facebook, so it was fun. By the time they hit Pensacola, they couldn't wait any longer and started saying, we're in Pensacola, we're in Pensacola Beach, we're in Fort Walton, you know, so it was fun. And their mom had informed me yesterday that she was going to head back in. Actually, it was kind of funny because Dalton called me yesterday morning and said, hey, man, I talked to mom and... I don't know if you got the house cleaned up, but she's going to be cruising back into town. So I was busting butt, I tell you. But it was fun. The little girls came in. My baby girls came in. Jetty came in. Now, Jetty was whoop, boy. He uh, he was so wiped out, all just pale looking. And then in the middle of the night, I get a, a wake-up message from Paige saying, Honey, honey, please get up. I need you to help me clean up. He puked. So it was a rough night. But golly. Am I glad they're home? And, and it was funny. They got in here 8.39 p.m. I know you guys just love my stories, right? They got in here 8, 9 p.m., and their friends couldn't wait. They had not seen them in three weeks. So uh, Summer came over, their good, good friend. She was over at, like, 9.30, 10 o'clock, you know, hanging out with the girls. They were having a blast. And, and I could not trade my kids, any of my kids, whether they're my sons who are wild and crazy or my daughters at home. And my little bud, it's like, man, this is just awesome. But today, Chapter 5 of Chris Widener's book, Michael Angelo's Secret for Following Your Passion and Finding the Work You Love. You know, and I, I, I sat here today saying, how can I change his title? And I thought, Michael Angelo's Secrets, the, the following secrets for following your passion and finding the life you should be living. I think that's exactly what this is. This works. The angel inside works for everything when we sit down and look at it. And today, I'm I'm really looking forward to this. Because today we're actually covering one of the, the chapters that, I mean, as I've read it and read it and read it, it's like, man, I just love this chapter. Because I think it it sets a pace. And I told you yesterday, it's so different. Because it says, your hands create what your mind conceives. And I thought, man, I love this. Your hands create what your mind conceives. But yet so many people sit around and say, okay, if I can conceive it, I can have it. If I believe it, I can see it. Now, they got all this right, but then they just sat there. And they don't start doing something. Chris writes this. Our worlds are created through the synchronization of the creative brilliance of the mind and the diligent steadiness and skill of the hand. So as I'm sitting there and I'm watching today, God always gives me some really cool things in the morning, because I'm watching today as three paddle boarders. Now, these are Yola, Yola boards. These, these are people that use surfboards, but they stand up and they use a, a, a row, like, they're pad, like you're in a rowboat. So they've got an oar, and they're pushing themselves along standing up on this. Now, we've got a big, strong wind coming in from the west, 
And it was fun to watch because as they were going forward and they were going with the wind, everything was going great. But when they turned around and decided to go against the wind, it became a struggle. So I'm sitting there looking at that and I thought, you know, this is what happens with the myth, see it and believe it, or the myth of power the, the power of intentions because what happens is we leave out that equation we leave out that that part that in the first four chapters Chris has been talking about your passion see for you for your mind to be able to conceive anything that your hands can create I believe you've got to be living within your passion within your purpose I believe that if you're living outside of that, if you're doing like Thomas here and you're doing something that you don't like to do, you will never be able to create with your hands everything that your mind conceives. And you'll never be able to create what you were intended to create because you won't be living there. So I'm sitting here looking at this. And if you remember where we left off yesterday, the old man said, let's go. Where Thomas said, let's go, he turned his back on the statue and began walking towards the entrance. But the old man said, wait, whoa, 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 there's one more left in here before we leave. Thomas said, oh, I'm okay, I'm sorry. The old man said, well, what am I looking for? He said, well, I want you to think about something. You said that usually Michelangelo wanted his statues to look lifelike, but with few exceptions, right? Correct. Okay, now look closely again at the giant. What two parts of the body are out of proportion? Now see, at the first glance, here's this 13, 14 foot high statue on a pedestal, so it's probably 20 feet high. And Thomas had to look back and say, out of proportion, I mean, this thing is magnificent. We just talked about the rippling of the muscles, the rib cage, the tendons showing. What what could be what could be out of proportion? But Thomas turned around and looked up and down the statue, and then he saw it. He said, "The heads and the hands." He said, "You're correct, Thomas." Now here's the important question: Why are the heads and the hands out of proportion? Thomas sat there for a minute and said, I, I, don't, I don't know. He goes, I will tell you. First, there was a practical reason why the head was so large. Michelangelo knew that the head of the giant would be some 20 feet off the ground. And the further away an object is, the smaller it appears. So he made the head larger to provide context of the body so that it would be seen in proper proportion with the rest of the body from a distance. Because we, we remember, this was setting in the town square. As the as the people came in and out of Florence, they would see it. So that made good good sense. He said, "There's a lesson here, but not the most important one." Now listen to what the lesson is. It is that sometimes parts of your life must be bigger than others in order to bring balance. Now, you know, guys, how I am. I think a balanced life is a myth, and this explains why. Think about what Chris says right here. 
it is sometimes that part of your body must be bigger than others in order to bring balance. Wow. So sometimes a portion of our life we will put more energy and effort. It will look bigger than other parts. But nowhere does it say it will always be that way. It will it will switch back and forth, which is what causes, if you would, a balanced life. You have to be imbalanced to be balanced, if that makes any sense. And we kind of see that in tires. You put a tire on a car and they have to put weights at certain spots to make it feel like the tire is balanced. But without those weights, the tire is not balanced. So when you take a logical deduction, I know I'm freaking you all out here. The tire is always imbalanced. Unbalanced, I guess would be the word. The, the tire is always unbalanced without weights in certain spots to help it balance out. Some weights are bigger, some weights are smaller. Same thing rings true right here. So from now on, everyone listening, when you get freaked out because, man, I'm, I'm working too much or I've not worked enough, I'm spending more time with my family or I'm, I'm taking time to grow spiritually, whatever the case is where you feel like you're unbalanced, it's okay as long as you realize the big picture of this. said, many people believe that we should keep everything equal, but not if you want to excel. See, if you're complacent, and I know a lot of balanced people that are complacent. They get up on Monday morning, 6.30, 7 o'clock. They take a shower. They clean up. They pick up their lunch pail off of the table where their wife's made them lunch. They go to work. They work basically nine to five. They come home, stop by the liquor store, grab a six-pack. Don't want a lot of beer laying around the house. It might go to waste. Don't want to be a drunk, so six-pack's fine. Grab a six-pack, come home, put their lunch pail on the kitchen counter, take a shower, come in, sit down, pop open a beer, eat dinner, share it with the wife, listen to her day. You don't have anything good to say. Sit down, watch TV, pop three more beers. On Fridays, they look forward to the bell ringing, jump in the car, go to the lake, spend the weekend telling fish stories, go back home. I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying this is what the majority of people, it's a balanced life that way. Everything's equal. Nothing changes. Everybody's happy-go-lucky. Don't really have any hobbies except fishing on the weekend. See, this is what Chris is talking about just in this first little one. We're not even into the big part yet. If you want to excel, it's not about being equal. It's not everything being equal to cause balance. Some things are bigger, and it's always changing for there to be balance. If you want to be a great writer, Chris says, you must spend more time reading and writing than you do saying and watching television, let's say. Many people, this is great, listen to this. Many people desire greatness, but few realize the sacrifice you have to make to achieve it. My mom and I, and I know you guys say, gosh, Troy, you're 47 years old, you talk to your mom a lot. I do. I found out that the wiser people, <laughs> excuse me, the older people get, the wiser they get. And when you've got parents that are 20, 25 years older than you, it makes more sense to listen 
for what's being said. So Mom and I were chatting about this. Because sometimes we think the current generation, they kind of live in this name it and claim it philosophy. I want to be rich, but they don't know what rich means. I want what other people have, but I don't want to work for it. And kind of that entitlement mentality, too. Most people don't understand the sacrifice. Prime example, everybody wants the right for freedom of speech. But very few want to give up their life like the 22 Navy SEALs that were blown out of the sky over Afghanistan. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. That sort of thing. Everybody wants to talk about changing their life, but few people want to make the sacrifice to achieve it. Now again, this isn't the most important lesson that we're talking about this morning. There's a more important lesson. A more important lesson that Michelangelo teaches us in sculpting the head and hands larger than they should be. Now obviously we're perplexed, so we know Thomas must have been perplexed. And the old man looked at Thomas and said, do you know that Michelangelo was a writer as well as a sculptor? No. He said, indeed. He said, one thing Michelangelo wrote tells us his philosophy and gives us insight into why he made the hands and the feet of the giant larger than they should be. Listen to this. If you're into poetry, this will probably be something, or pose, you'll, you'll like this. He says, the marble not yet carved can hold the form of every thought the greatest author, the greatest art, artist has. And no conception ever comes to pass unless the hand obeys the intellect. I'm going to say that again because I kind of flubbed it. The marble not yet carved can hold the form of every thought the greatest, author, the greatest artist has. And no conception ever comes to pass unless the hand obeys the intellect. Thomas sat there for a minute, and the old man said, Do you get it? He says, I guess the head and the hands are both important. They have to work together. The old man said, In the basic premise, that is correct. Michelangelo knew, knew that our worlds and a statue are created through the meeting of creative brilliance of the mind and the diligent steadiness of the skill of the hands. It is through bringing together the power of the mind and the delicacy of the work of the hand. He said, here's your fifth lesson. You conceive your world and your mind and then create it with your hands. Now, I, I just stopped right there. And I started looking again out the window. And I was watching as these, the, it was two guys and a girl. And the two guys had this down perfect. They were going into the wind on their paddle boards, and they were cruising around. One guy, could he could do all kinds of stuff. <clears throat> and the young lady did phenomenally well crossing the wind currents and going with the wind currents. But when she had to try to go upwind, she struggled. Her mind and her hands were not in unison. Now, I'm sitting here looking at this. You, con you conceive your world in your mind and then create it with your hands. 
But how many of us go no further than conceiving it in our mind? We've read all the great books. We've read Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. We've written it on paper even, but we can't build it. And it's because all we've done is set a goal, set a resolution. But it wasn't our goal. It wasn't our resolution. It had nothing to do with what we were truly out there to perform. What we were created to do was nowhere around it. I look at the the people that I know. I call Richard Brooke the MLM cowboy. Started on a ranch, ended up working at a chicken farm. Knew that wasn't what his lot in life was supposed to be about. Ended up becoming a multimillionaire, turning around a business and now running a a health and wellness business that utilizes network marketing as its marketing structure. I looked at Richard and I thought, here's a guy that Girls didn't want to date him. Guys didn't hang out with him. Everything he tried to do failed, he felt like, and then one day it clicked with him. Well, I look at his life today. He's got cool little toys. Man, he's a he's a pilot for airplanes and choppers and owns a wooden cool ski boat. He's got a beautiful wife and a good business. But see, I've gotten to know him, and I know that all that came with sacrifice. I look at that and I think, wow, this is amazing. I look at my mentor, John Maxwell, and I realize that he started out not being able to get this leadership thing right. And He'd go to churches, and when he was there, things were great, but when he left, they fell apart. He realized he was just creating a bunch of followers, not creating leaders. And one day he went to a little San Diego church, Grew that church to a thousand people. Started a big building campaign. But he couldn't get it any further than that. And they they kept having headaches about trying to get the church built. And it kind of caused some frictions like it does most of the time. And John realized one day it's time for me to leave and step down and go focus on my business and not my ministry per se right this second. And he left and went to Atlanta. And the pastor that came in and replaced him had been there for a while and He was promoted into John's position and the church doubled to 2,000 and all of the the frustrations with the building went away and all of a sudden they built a new church. And all of a sudden John realized I've started to build leaders, not followers. I look at Art Williams who built a beautiful business and then had to leave it and then came back 20 years later and still had the fire and it's growing again. See, these are all guys, and and I didn't mention any women right now, so relax. But these are guys that conceived their world in their mind and then created it with their hands. And they were always growing as as a professional. Then I look at, I look at people like Holly Robinson Pete, who when I was in my early 20s fell in love with her I thought she was the hottest black actress in Hollywood she made her debut in a little show that was called 21 Jump Street where a bunch of 20 year olds went back to school undercover to bust criminals 
when the series ended, I always wondered, whatever happened to Holly? And yesterday, I was sitting in the doctor's office, and I read an article that after 21 Jump Street, Holly got married to, which which is why she now goes by Robinson Pete. And her and her husband Stan had a little, a little beautiful set of twins, and one of them was autistic. And Holly put her career in the background to raise her autistic son. Kind of cool, because I thought, as I was reading this chapter today, oh, wow, talk about balance and and, and unbalanced. You know, here she is going up. I mean, listen, we're talking about a girl that could act. She was beautiful. She could dance. She could sing. She could have been the Holly Berry in Hollywood. And she said, we got to put that on the back burner for a while. I'm glad to say she's bringing out a new show on CBS that's a talk show that will be on in the mornings, and all it is is moms. Celebrity moms who gave up the celebrityhood to raise a family. Hers just happens to be a an at-needs child. He's kind of cool, though. She was sharing about even the fact that he, he can do all this stuff on his own and one day will be in the real world. She's homeschooling right now because they don't know how to mainstream him in, in, in major schools, which is typical. I have a cousin that's autistic. But I thought, man, that is so rockin' freaking cool, you know. <coughs> I thought, wow. Talk about amazing. Talk about miraculous, so to speak. When you look at the chapter that I'm doing, you look at what Chris wrote, and then you see it in action. The old man looked at his watch, and he said, you know, Thomas, we need to be going soon, so let me finish up. He looked at Thomas. He said, you can become anything that you want in life. You can achieve whatever you desire. But you must make the connection between the head and the hands. He said, do you understand? And Thomas said, I I really don't understand. He said, Thomas, most people live in one... They either conceive of amazing things, they dream, but it never goes beyond that. It only lives in their mind. But yet others do just the opposite. They will fill they are filled with action, but not action <coughs> excuse me, that is well thought out. It is movement that takes them nowhere. He said the secret is this let your mind conceive it and then let your hands create it. True accomplishment requires both. Now, see, I'm I'm going to take it a step further because it, it just coincides with what Chris has written in the first four. It's through that little spark in your heart that your passion is born. My friend Richard, his passion isn't to run a multi-million dollar company. He could care less. 
the whole reason he chose network marketing as the marketing structure, as the compensation plan, is because he knew that if it would work for him, somebody that had a hard time getting through high school, then it would work for other people and he could empower and transform people's lives. That is what we're talking about in Chris's book. When you have that flicker of passion in your heart, when it starts to become a flame, when all of a sudden your mind starts working overtime, designing it, creating it, conceiving it, putting it all together, and then you take it the next step and you act, and you sit there and your hands start working to put it together. That's when you have it. I've got a, you guys know I sit on the board of directors of the Association of Network Marketing Professionals. And over the last five years, I've been very frustrated because we never go anywhere with that organization. I even removed myself for a year from the board, came back and focused even heavier, focused deeper, wanting to make it happen. When I saw that things weren't going the way I wanted to, I went on a a one-man crusade, so to speak, to start a grassroots movement of getting people to pay attention and understand. I'm starting to get buy-in from companies and from the grassroots people and from top leaders. Today I woke up and saw an email of another good friend of mine who's resigning from this same board through the same frustrations that I have. The difference is Right now, he can't do anything about it or isn't doing anything about it. He's just frustrated, so he's quitting. I've turned my frustration into energy, into passion, because I know that I happen to have the ability to help an industry, to help a profession, to help a marketing channel, whatever word you want to use. To me, it's the people that make up that marketing channel. And I've seen some great people out there that need an opportunity to know that they're not by themselves, both at the company level and at the distributor level. And together, I believe that we can make a change. And my whole mantra is, united we stand. Because I believe that's what it takes. And I believe when I look at this, and that, that I'm living, that, that passion is in my heart, just like Richard's, to give people the, an equal playing field of being able to make it it's up to them if they do it. It's up to them if this is where they're supposed to be. But at the very least, if I come in contact with them, they will walk away with something that will be able to take them to the next level in their life if they want it. As I go back to this chapter, Chris writes, The old man pointed at the statue before them and continued, As David stands facing his, facing his Goliath, he conceives in his mind what he wants to do. He sees the giant dead at his feet and his own army saved. But he, had he not trained himself, slinging countless stones at trees and animals for years in obscurity, where nobody saw him except God, he would not have had the skills enough to be able to make his hand obey his mind 
the story would have ended much differently. Instead, he searches the ground and picks up five smooth stone, yet he only needs one to slay the giant. Because his hands was trained to accomplish what his mind had conceived that should take place. What started as a as a calling from God that penetrated his heart when the prophet said, God has anointed you, became action as his mind started to conceive. And as Chris says here, he knew what his outcome. Tomorrow we get to read on about how Thomas and the old man go meet a friend. The importance of planning and preparation is tomorrow's chapter. It's going to be awesome. Live life like it's an epic adventure. I'll see you at the top. Be back here tomorrow morning with me for Real Mentors Radio. Bye now.